0: You're listening to MLB.com Extras, brought to you by MLB.tv. It's baseball everywhere. Hi,
1: and welcome to MLB.com Extras. I'm Matthew Leach, going to be talking National League East, uh, where the Washington Nationals uh, have gotten hot, and the Braves have gotten hot too. And so um, it's uh, it's still a, a pretty good Washington lead, but they're not running away with it. The Braves are keeping them within sight, and... Uh, Maybe one of the best stories in baseball this year, the Miami Marlins are very much in contention. So uh, this is an interesting division. We'll be talking with all five MLB.com beat writers, talking with Bill Ladson about the Washington Nationals. Bill, I want to go back a few days to start this. Uh, we keep hearing this Bryce Harper stuff, and there was something that came out um, within the past week that they might even deal in. Said this straight, this guy isn't going anywhere, is he?
2: He's going nowhere, Matthew. Um, he, he's, he's expected to carry this team and uh, he has the power to do it, and, uh, you know, right now he's not hitting right now, but, you know, who get it together? I mean, remember he missed like over a month of action because of the thumb injury, so he's still uh, getting used to the pitching. Uh, The only thing I'm worried about, Matthew, is his uh, running ability because he has been running into outs. Um, His base running has not been good, and Matt Williams is aware of it, and he talked about it the other day, and uh, they'll get it together.
1: Is Harper really a problem, or is he just 21?
2: I think he's just 21. Um, he's not a problem at all. He's a great guy, um, great to deal with, but um, he makes mistakes, and and you know, most of his mistakes um, are like running the bases. So that's got to be fixed, and uh, you know, it's got to be fixed right now.
1: From from the outside, and, and I ask you this because I'm sure it looks different when you're there. From the outside, there have been a couple of times when it, it's looked like Williams was kind of heavy-handed. And, and you've mentioned that you know, he, he's, it's important to Williams not to be intimidated by his players, and I get that. But is there also um, some element of, of mentoring, supporting, whatever? Is, is the behind-the-scenes any less kind of heavy-handed from Williams to Harper? or is, Does he kind of handle him tough love all the time?
2: Um, not all the time, but, uh, you know, when there's a problem with Harper, I mean, he does, uh, approach Harper and, and they have their talks. Now the other, the other day, for example, um, it was on Monday when, uh, Harper ran into an out, um, Matt Williams didn't say anything to us about it. But the next day he told us that, uh, that he spoke to Harper about the, the base running mistake. And, uh, he said, we, we are aware of it, and it's going to be fixed. So that's, uh, I know that they talk, and it helps, too, that they're from the same uh, state, and um, I think that helps as well. And um, they talk a lot about, you know, growing up in Nevada and everything, so that helps.
1: One of the things that, that I think people don't really realize uh, about managing is is the kind of minefield of that um, what you keep in-house, what you get asked about for, by the media, um, and kind of how to walk that line. You saw Ryan Sandberg have a, step in a little bit of a hole in spring training with his handling of Jimmy Rollins. Do you think that's something where, as the year goes on, it seems like Williams is getting kind of more deft at walking that line. It's still not perfect. There are still some things that blow up. But do you think he's kind of learning that part of the game uh, as the year goes on?
2: Well, there's no question, Matthew. Um, The thing that I'm impressed about uh, Williams is that, uh, you know, he's proving that he's the boss. I mean, people talk about uh, Bryce Harper playing center field. We haven't seen Bryce Harper play center field yet. And uh, Bryce Harper doesn't have any type of power whatsoever. And uh, we've seen from Matt Williams that really he's the boss. He, He determines who plays where. And, um, that's about it. So,
1: we've beaten Bryce Harper to death, but don't worry, we'll do that again soon, <laughs> i sure, some, some week. <laughs> no what, problem.
3: Does,
1: what does Nate Shearholtz bring to this club? I mean, I know it's a minor league deal for now, but it, I, I don't think they would have signed him if they didn't intend for him to be a part of their Major League roster at some point.
2: Um, he's going to be uh, on this Major League squad maybe within the next couple of days, Matthew. Um, as you know, um, Nate McLeod is out for the year because of a shoulder injury. And they need a left-handed uh, bat off the bench. And uh, right now they only have Danny Espinosa. If you include him, he's a switch hitter. But uh, you know, he his weakness is from the left side. So it's it's that's what Nate McCly will be be here um, in a couple of days, and he'll provide power basically off the bench. Wouldn't surprise if we he'll get an occasional start here and there. But uh, this is a great move by the Nationals
1: this is a guy who was a really good player just a year ago. He had a rough year this year, but do they think there's something kind of fixable? Do they think there's something, uh, some kind of something quick or relatively easy that he'll get back to, to the form we're we're used to seeing from him?
2: Yes, it, it, they do. And it, but Matt, you know, it's tough to come off the bench. I mean, we've seen that uh, with this team of the last two years. I mean, the bench strength has not been that good. I, I think he is better than what they have currently. And, and um, I think things will really work out, uh, you know, with him. Uh, Matt Williams realizes that, you know, these play, these bench players need a starter to um, to get their bats together. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see Nate. McC- I mean, Nate Scherholtz, uh get a start here and there.
1: They, they've moved out to a pretty healthy lead. I mean, they're not running away with it yet, but but they're pretty clearly the better team, and they've, they've got a, a healthy lead. Does that? Are they at a point yet where they can? maybe take it a little easier with a, with a guy like Jason Worth. maybe give Harper a blow here and then as he's coming back from the stuff he dealt with. Are they at a point where they can maybe be a little more conservative with guys who are who are dealing with, with nagging injuries?
2: No, Matthew. I, just, I, I think uh, if you talk to these players, or even Matt Williams for that matter, they don't think it's over. I mean, they don't think they have a comfortable lead at all. And I personally think that it will t- – uh, I won't know how good this team really is until they face a team like the Dodgers or the Seattle Mariners, I think um, those two teams are pretty good. They have great pitching, and I think we'll, I think they will determine how good uh, the Nationals are um, in, the, in the next month or so. So
1: where does that that leave them with Worth? I mean, he, he's well, he's good enough to be back in the lineup, but is he going to be limited? Is he going to be compromised by? I mean, shoulders are not shoulders can be pretty big things for hitters. Is he going to be compromised? for the rest of the year
2: no i don't um you know knowing uh jason works the way i do uh this guy is going to be in there every day um you know health permitting i'm telling you he's not going to take himself out of the line he has to be really hurting to be out lineup. so i see him uh playing the rest of the year
1: but i guess that's my worry if he's if he's in pain and he's going to get in there every day, is are the Nationals going to be dealing with a less than 100% Jason Worth for the rest of the year?
2: No, I think he's okay right now. Um, I think, uh, you know, we've, we've seen him in the lineup the last uh, couple of days. I think if he uh, was really hurting, we would not uh, see him in that lineup. But he's okay. He's okay.
1: This uh, There's so much interesting about this team. I-, I was looking at the numbers, and Steven Strasburg's strikeouts are back up. As high as they've nearly ever been. His walk mm-hmm. rate is the lowest it's ever been in his career.
3: Mm-hmm. His home
1: runs are up a little bit, by not much, but not much. Why is he giving up more base hits and runs than he has in the past?
2: I think it's a. Com- I think it's location, to be honest with you. I think, uh, you know, talking to him um, the last uh, week or so, it seems like there are some mechanical issues. He recently uh, talked to uh, some of the players on the team, like the Pfisters, the Gio Gonzalez of the world, asking, what am I doing wrong? It seems like uh, he's throwing more on the inside part of the plate now. And uh, after the talks with him, with those two guys, and McCaddy, the pitching coach, it seems to me that uh, things have really worked out, especially in in his last two starts. So it's uh, great to see that Strasburg can talk to his teammates, his pitching coach, and get it together.
1: There's got to be something very encouraging about the fact that that a guy is, is having what you can call a down year, and he's got 198 strikeouts in August.
2: That's true. Um, you know, he uh, – but, you know, it seems like the, the runs he gives up. It seem like, he like uh, you know, two games here he has a great game. Then one game he has a really bad game. See, it's been up and down. There's no question about that. But uh, year number two, uh, there was that game against Atlanta. It was on a Friday. And he got hit hard. But he struck out a lot of players. So, um, you know, you know, he's going to get the strikeouts, no question about it. But, uh, you know, I think he's finally, finally is becoming the pitcher I think the Nationals are expecting.
1: Yeah, the guy that... It- it does seem like there maybe is some reason to worry about is, is Gio Gonzalez. I mean, he's walking a batter basically every two innings since the break. What's going on there?
2: Again, I think it's uh, location. Uh, he's not hurting. I mean, we know he he, he went on the disabled list, uh, you know, a few months ago, but he claims he's okay. But, you know, Matthew, with a, in a short series in the playoffs, there's no question I think Gio Gonzalez could be off that playoff roster if he continues to pitch the way he does. There's no question they're not, they're not going to use all five starters and uh, I think Gio could be the guy who's out of the rotation if um, if he continues to pitch the way he does. That's
1: a uh, that's bad for him, but that's a pretty nice situation to be in, uh, be in as a ball club. Uh, Bill Adson, <laughs> thanks for uh, dropping in here, taking some time uh, talking Atlanta Braves with MLB.com's Braves beat reporter, Mark Bowman. Uh, Mark, I, I, there's probably some sort of cleaner or a more erudite way to phrase this, but the streaks with this team are unbelievable. What in the world is going on with this team?
0: <laughs> You're right. You know, it's it's amazing. They, they had as much as they struggled there towards the end of July um, and then early part of August there, you, you forgot that they had the nine-game winning streak that went from the end of June through the early days of July. Uh, then played like I said some mediocre ball, then some really bad ball, and now all of a sudden they've won five in a row after uh, enduring a stretch where they lost 12 of 15. It's uh, you know I I really think it, it comes down to the offense. If you if you need to point fingers, you know they they they, they experimented with B.J. Upton there at the leadoff spot. That was just a I, I think in, in all honesty what Freddie was doing was trying to appease Jason Hayward, who really does not like. The leadoff role. He has not never said that verbally, but his his body language, his the, the the words that he chooses when he carefully you know answers questions about the leadoff spot. He doesn't like it, but he is the best. He is the one guy on this team that is, that is suited for that role. And they they proven last year they took off when he went there. They put him in the leadoff spot, and again this year they have uh, got on a little bit of a roll. So you uh, know I, I think that's the that's the one big change. Uh, the most significant change that has seemed to spark this offense. And, and Justin Upton is, is kind of in one of his his zones right now. So uh, their pitching has been there, you know, for the most part all year. It, the offense is the big difference recently. This,
1: that just shows what a pro you are because you set me up for my next question, which actually was why <laughs> are they reluctant to commit to Hayward? But I guess to kind of take that a step forward further, it does seem pretty obvious as a guy who doesn't – he's not the big power guy that we thought he might be. He does get on base. He's got a good strike zone. He's got some speed. He seems like the natural guy. At what point, or has it already, does the manager say, hey, look, I know you don't like this, but honestly it doesn't matter. You're the guy that's got to do this, and we need you to embrace it.
0: I think that's basically what is going on right now. You know, he went to him last week and said, look, we're going to put you back there. Jason said, fine. And what is helping Freddie's argument when you're trying to, you know, persuade or you know, convince this player that this is the role for him is you know the, the production, you know, and not just his personal numbers. But that's what Freddie said yesterday. He said, "I'm looking at this. We're 22 games over 500 when Jason's in the leadoff spot. You know, and you know, X amount of games below 500 when when he's not." And he is, uh, you know, I, I, I get it. Jason said the other day, look, I, I like to have be in spots where I can drive in runs, I can move runners over, I can do a little bit of this, a little bit of that. He didn't, he didn't feel he could do all that in the leadoff spot. Well, last couple nights I've seen him, you know, come up to bat with two guys on, two outs, drive in runs. He, he has been able to do it. I, I think in in his mindset, you know, you got to remember you're not leading off every inning and. And I, and I do get it. As the course of the season, over the course of the season, uh, the, the RBI opportunities are obviously going to be uh, – or are going to have a tendency to be much less frequent in that role because you're not going to get the same kind of production out of your, your 7, 8, nine hitters as you, you are, maybe your two, three, four, 3, or wherever he is there in the middle of the lineup. But, uh, yeah, I, I think he has to realize that, that he can serve as a catalyst and also uh, – Take advantage of those opportunities when when the guys down there at the bottom of the order do turn it over. He can could be that that uh, guy that drives in runs.
1: Maybe you should give Freddie a Tony Larusa's number. Talk about uh, putting the p- pitcher eighth and get him an extra guy in front of him. But uh...
0: <laughs> you know, you know, Freddie has done that before. Maybe, maybe that might be a good topic today. Talk to him about that.
1: Yeah, hey, uh, is uh, is Mike Miner fixed?
0: You know, uh, m- mentally, I, I do think he is. Uh, uh, you know, I, I don't think that uh, – and I think when I say that, mentally he, he does have his confidence back, and I think now all of a sudden he's throwing the breaking ball with a little bit more conviction. Uh, so his stuff is, is, has been a little bit better these last two. Um, maybe two starts is not enough to to say, you know, he's definitely – he's back. Uh, but what I saw there against the A's the other night, there, there was a lot to like. He gives up the solo home run, and, and that's it. Uh, you know, he doesn't allow that to, to you know, lead to, to more mistakes. He doesn't hang his head where we saw, you know, in the past. He didn't like some of the body language during some of the starts. He gave up one home run, and you see the head drop. Uh, the sixth inning the other night, they had a play out in, in shallow right field where Phil Gosselin dropped the ball. All of a sudden, the A's have a uh, guy on second with one out. Well, Miner comes right back and then and gets two consecutive strikeouts of two right here. Two right-handers, Josh Donaldson and and Norris there, and he he just saw, he kind of saw some some of the moxie that you saw last year, some of that confidence, and he really liked what he said after his last two starts about uh, he just needed a mental break, and you know you can analyze what has gone wrong with Mike Miner this year, Um, you know some of the guys, including Roger McDowell, said, look, he really never had a regular spring training, and we all know that he. He had the, <clears throat> the surgical procedure there in, in January the, um, and was not able to do anything, you know, that whole month. Comes to spring training, he's, he's a month behind, and then when he starts to, instead of driving to Kissimmee and Clearwater and, and here and there, having his his five or six spring training starts that way, he's going to this minor league city and that minor league city, and you know, may, maybe maybe that sounds like an excuse, but... You know, I just don't think he ever got his feet under him. And, uh, and I think maybe that break that they gave him there in August was good, just from a mental standpoint. Look, step away, do what you have to do, you know, get your mind right. And, and we've seen the results here the last two two outings that give you the confidence that uh, he might be a, a guy they can rely on the rest of this year.
1: You know, the other thing that, that has really happened here lately is after a, after a bit of a uh, his own kind of I don't know what you call it. Some some less than ideal times. It seems like maybe Irvin Santana has kind of got it back. He hasn't been great the last couple, but seems like it's been more good than bad here lately. After some some rough times mid season, is this is this just the sort of normal ups and downs of the season, or is it as pronounced as there was a slump and now he's kind of closer to right again?
0: No, I, I think there's there's something there because I, I from the middle of May through uh, mid to late June. I was watching him thinking, man, I don't know if he's going to get through the season. And if he does, we're, we're looking at a uh, 4.5 VRA, five, five, maybe five plus ERA, maybe 5-plus ERA for this guy that they paid $14.1 million for. But, uh, you know, what he's done, he's come back here for the last six weeks, and, and he's been steady Eddie. Uh, I mean, he's had some good ones. <clears throat> he's had some some mediocre or, you know, some average ones just, you know, Good enough ones, but but he hasn't had any of the clunkers that we saw there, um, you know, back there in May and latter part of May and early June. Um, and you know, I, when I look at Urban Santana, is he a one number one or number two? No, but you know, he can be that solid number three. Um, provides a little bit of experience there in that that pitching step. But, you know, same thing with Aaron Harang. Um, you know, he, he, he I, I don't think I'd start him. You know, in Game One or Game Two of a postseason series, or anything like that. But, but uh, yeah, he's he's a guy who who, if he continues to pitch like he has here the last uh, month or so, uh, he's a guy that, that can also be an asset down the stretch.
1: Then the offensive side, you know. It- they thought it seemed like they'd found something at second base, and it seemed like they had they had committed to Tommy LaStella, and now they are not committed to him anymore. What's what's the situation there? Is that a platoon? Is that is there an opportunity for Goslin to take it entirely? What what's what's the situation at second base there?
0: Yeah, it is very interesting. That kind of came out of nowhere, you know, because you know, I think we just even last week we were talking about. Tommy Lestella, and he, he is, he's the steady guy, that, the guy that's going to put the ball in play for the most part. and He doesn't do a lot of other things for you. His glove is is better than advertised, but still not, you know, much above average, and and he doesn't bring speed to the table. Now, Goslin does. You know, Gosselin, you know, he, he's a guy that, that can also put the ball in play. He had a great three, four months there at Gwinnett before he was called up, and, you know, provides a little bit of speed on the bases, a really reliable gloves. I just think he's the guy that the that, that, that Freddie and the coaching staff feels more comfortable with right now. Taco Stella has hit I believe it's since the All Star break he's hit about two forty. Um the the on base percentage has dipped a little bit. You know, if you if if that bat is your one tool and and it's not working and there's another guy who who can provide the bat, the glove and, and some legs, I, I think that they're just going to just I, they're not going to completely ditch Tommy, you know, at that second base spot. They'll find the matchups. But if you're asking me who I expect to see uh, get a majority of the playing time there, at least for the next week, you know, just to, it, it, I think it will continue to be Gosselin. And I, the only reason I say for the next week is Phil Gosselin is going to have to prove that he can do it. You know, let, let's not let, you know, three, four, five games say, oh, well, he's going to be there the rest of this year. But, you know, as long as he. He continues to be productive there, uh, get a few hits tonight, uh, or you know, or you know, have a steady, an average uh, batting average here close to 300, and I think you're going to see him uh, be the guy that, that, that gets the majority of the playing time.
1: Well, don't worry, we'll have a completely different set of uh, of topics, and don't, there'll probably be a, a, a long streak in the other direction or something in a week or two, we're going to revisit this again. <laughs> uh, Mark Bowman, thanks for taking some time to uh, chat here on MLB.com Extras. Uh, talking Miami Marlins with uh, our MLB.com Marlins beat reporter, Joe Fisaro. Uh Joe, uh, for a couple of weeks now, we've talked about, a few weeks now, we've talked about contention. And two weeks ago it sounded theoretical like, you know, something they kind of wanted to simulate. They wanted the guys to feel like they're playing in big games. Now it's very real. Uh, what's What's going on here?
4: Yeah, I mean, they're – they're finding a way i mean they, you know that's what you kind of want to see from teams when you get the crunch time they're finding a way whether it's uh the starting pitching stepping up whether it's stanton playing in an mvp level coming through with big plays uh Marcelo zuna christian Yelich, young outfielders who are on the rise uh doing their part uh you kind of seen the team growing up and you know kind of having that attitude like hey
2: let's
4: uh you know let's kind of make this fun and uh You know, the breaks that weren't necessarily going their way early, they're starting to get a few, and they're kind of making their own as well. And they're beating good teams in the process. They're winning at home and on the road. And now they find themselves, you know, back over 500, which was a magical mark. I mean, we got to consider this team two games after the All-Star break was eight under. So, you know, they're playing pretty much as well as anybody in the game uh, since the All-Star break, and uh, they're just going to ride it as far as they can.
1: Response in the home market, has always been a big deal there. It's always, you know, they, they, they're they searching, they're hunting. How has the response to this team been? i got to think that this kind of surprising run is something that, that would draw some attention and, and catch some eyes.
0: Yeah, it is.
4: I mean, it's a process, and, you know, there's still, you know, some skepticism, and, uh, you know, they kind of made their own bed in a lot of ways for that. And, uh, you know, they're, they're kind of seeing the enthusiasm of the players, and, you know, it's an exciting team that, uh you know good guys and you know easy to cheer for type players and the market is is responding you know uh, a bit it'll be curious to see if september comes and they're still in the thick of it you know how that you know affects the gate but you know right now uh everything's kind of ticking upwards and um, you know the team's giving the market plenty to cheer about
1: you mentioned uh, starting pitching and talking about what things are going on, and, and this is an organization that has always really built itself from starting pitching out. It's really sort of been the priority. Um, you know, they bring in, they made the move for Cosart, which honestly I, I kind of found a baffling move. I mean, I, I'm not acquiring him, but but uh, you know, the two part giving up on on Turner to bring him in, where they seem similar, and yet it's worked beautifully. Um, have they? fixed something with him, or, or what's going on? Because they seem to have really found something with Kosar.
4: Yeah, I mean, I think we talked about it before. I mean, the stuff clearly there, uh, you know, maybe some of the command, uh, maybe some of the, you know, secondary pitches, but, you know, his stuff's uh, looking pretty electric. I mean, the, he's got a cutter, He's uh, he's got a changeup, um, you know, the fastball's good. Um, you know, they saw something, and, and he, Chuck Hernandez, the pitching coach, uh, did a very good job in the first year last year. You know, he was, you know, he's known Jose forever in a big part of Cape and, you know, Jose grounded, and he's kind of working his magic with, with Jared Cozart and, you know, Tom Kohler and, and so on. So, um, you know, he's not walking a, a bunch of guys. You know, he beat Adam Wainwright uh, in a one nothing game uh, a couple of weeks ago. I mean, you know, this guy is stepping up in big moments, and, given the team a lot to, to be excited about and um, maybe it's a change of scenery stuff. Um, people don't know him too well and maybe he's capitalizing on that too, but um, there's a real lot to like uh, about the ball out of hand with this guy and uh, competitiveness and the secondary pitches. You know, Like I said, that cutter is a lot better than some people may have realized and maybe he's thrown a little bit more, uh, but he's getting very good
1: results. And at the back end of it, uh, you know, we talked last week about about Steve Cishek and about whether there's any level of concern. They sit him four days and and he comes back dealing. Was this as simple as a case of maybe a little fatigue?
4: And it's uh, probably, but you know, Matthew, it's also going to be something that's going to be monitoring. You know, we,
1: he's still
4: having a hard time with clean innings. Uh, uh, he had a first and third jam, uh, you know, against uh, the Rangers that he was able to get out of on a botched uh, squeeze play, got him an out, uh, but. You know, Cishek, uh, he seems like a completely different guy when the first guy reaches compared to when you get the first guy out. And, you know, it's just going to be something to monitor with Steve the more innings he throws. And as we noted, you know, you got a lockdown closer and you're playing meaningful games in September. You feel a lot better about your chances than if you don't. And, you know, it's certainly there with Cishek. He's got, he's got a track record, but it's still something I think you're going to have to monitor all the way through. So
1: if they have to keep an eye on it, what's plan B?
4: Uh, I mean, they, they made it through one game. You're going to need your starter going seven or eight, and then you're going to have to hope that Brian Morris, A.J. Ramos, or Mike Dunn, one of those three, if not all three, are used to get out in the ninth inning for, for the save. But um, they're not there right now. But, you know, it's, you know they're, they're certainly hopeful that Steve uh, you know pitches that. You know, the, the level he was the first couple of months of the season.
1: Talking about Morris, so there was a note on on Marlins.com in the last couple of days about what a difference there was in the bullpen when he arrived. Now, you know, obviously one guy, even a closer, really isn't going to turn around an entire bullpen. But uh, what what is going on that this bullpen has been so much more effective recently than it was earlier in the year?
4: I think, you know, part of it is, is the starting pitching. You know, when the when the starters go deeper, they've got good arms here. Uh, but like any place, if you're overextending, overexposing, when you're putting guys in their best position to succeed is obviously when you can have your most success. And um, you know, I, I have to credit the starting pitching. And now with Henderson Alvarez back, you know, you could count on seven, eight with him, if not nine. Um, it, it just seems to just really make them all much more effective. And Matthew, just uh, something to keep an eye on with the bullpen. Uh, it kind of could be almost like a you know in late August trade. Carter Capps is getting close to, uh, you know, throwing some game action in, in you know, up in the, uh, in some rehab assignments. You know, he had the the elbow issue that we many feared was going to lead to Tommy John surgery several months ago. A lot of people wrote him off, but if he comes back, he could be, you know, as a guy throwing 100 miles an hour, uh, helping that back into the bullpen. So, so keep an eye on Carter Capps. He could be almost like a late trade for them uh, if he doesn't have any further
2: setbacks.
1: You had a piece uh, earlier this week on uh, on the Marlins outfield, and and uh, you know everybody knows Giancarlo Stanton, and uh, you know Yelich actually seems like a fairly kind of polished player for a young guy. He he's, he seems to have a nice strike zone. He gets on base. He kind of has a little of that all around game. The Guy that really intrigues me is uh, Marcelo Zuna. He seems like a guy who's still developing, who's still getting. You know, he's he's walking more this year. He's also striking out more. Uh, but, he, you know, he's got power. Um, what kind of player do you think this guy turns into with a few years' experience?
2: He's a guy
4: – it's interesting, Matthew, with him because, it,
1: like, one of his favorite players growing up is,
4: is Vladimir Guerrero. And there's some Guerrero in there. And if he could get the consistency – we're talking about an all-star caliber guy. But, you know, there's – moment you look, he looks lost. I mean, I've seen him on some so many, like, you know, not top 10 highlights, swinging and falling to one knee, uh, you know, overrunning a base and, you know, getting himself out in the base pass. But but this guy, the, the talent there is, you know, we're looking at a 25-90 type guy, and if you could get close to getting 280-290, you know, we're going to be looking at a guy with a very good defensive player as well, you know, that's it could be a very big impact player for many years in this league. He's just 23 years old.
2: Right.
1: That's, to me, the thing that stands out. And that was the point you made, is that is that none of these guys are really are really finished products. I mean, what what kind of upside do you think there is there is in Yelich? I mean, uh, this is a guy, you know, it's kind of spoken of as like a, maybe a batting champion guy. We're not really seeing the high average, but he seems to have a really kind of well-rounded game.
4: Yeah, I mean, he's,
1: it's funny with
4: all three of those, because obviously Stanton is who he is. Over the course of the next three four years, all three of them are potential hit at number three spot type guys. Ozuna may be more of a cleanup guy, but you know guys that could hit three and four in your lineup. Yelich, you know, he's the guy that many think is just going to be just this really good offensive player for a long time. Plus, he's a good athlete. He doesn't have the strongest throwing arm, so he's not going to be a real real elite, you know, complete outfielder. But he covers ground. Uh, he's a bit of a gamer as well. And, you know, just offensively, him hitting leadoff, or I think he's probably going to be best suited on this team with a diploma fit around hitting second, but they don't have that guy yet to, to lead off, so he has to do it. Um, but, you know, just 22 years old, um, you know, mature beyond his years, grounded, you know, uh, and just seems to have a, a real grasp for it. Uh, back to Zuna real fast. Here's a guy who just has this. Real love for the game and, and energy, and just kind of plays the game real loosey goosey. He doesn't get intimidated by the moments, and he'll come up with, with big moments as well. So, and those two guys also won a championship at low A ball in Greensboro, and then played for the Florida State League championship the year later on team with Jose Fernandez. Uh, so they, you know, Yelich and Ozuna have some history playing together, and you know, two really big parts. And, and Matthew, two guys I. Expect will be uh, extension candidates who signed either this offseason or the year after.
1: As this team uh, has worked its way back in, uh, one of the things that's happened is they've been really good at home. And actually, they've been really good at home all year, but they're coming up on what is a potentially a very tough road trip. I mean, the Rockies aren't a great team, but everybody knows that's a tough place to play. And they see the Angels uh, and then they see the Braves. I mean, that's a tough trip. What, what do they need to do to kind of Make that trip work. I mean, I don't. I doubt you go into that expecting to reel off seven or eight wins, but to kind of get get through that trip intact, what do they need to do?
4: Yeah, they're going to have to hit. I mean, you know, pitching's obvious. You know, you know, you go to Coors Field, you have to pitch. Obviously, you face games. You've got to pitch, but they're going to have to hit more. I mean, they, you know, they're just kind of squeaking by. Their one-run games have been great. You know, low-scoring type games, and they find the way to win. But they're gonna have to find. They're gonna have to score more runs. You know, uh, Garrett Jones is gonna to have to step up. Casey McGee, who was so good, you know, first, you know, three, four months of you know not been driving in runs this month, uh, he's gonna to have to offer much more protection for Stanton. Or you're not gonna see. You're gonna see like, you know, Stanton getting a walk off win against the Rangers with runs on first and second. You're gonna see Pete just put him on and take their chances with Casey to base is loader if he doesn't, you know, start, you know, picking up the pace like he did earlier. So. Um, Lamaki as well. You know he's going to have to hit more consistency, uh, consistently. Um that's to me. I mean, you're going to go play the Angels. You're going to win 2-1. You know, take that series winning 2-1 all the time. I, you know, you, you you hope, but you kind of are skeptical. So, um, I think we're going to have to see much more offense down the
1: stretch. Joe Fosaro, thanks for joining us here on uh, MLB.com Extras. Appreciate you taking the time. Going to be talking New York Mets with MLB.com's Mets beat reporter Anthony DiComo. Um, it's uh, things have kind of turned against the Mets here the last few weeks after a, a pretty encouraging season, but it does seem like there's some some good news here um, with Jacob DeGrom seemingly with a minor injury and on the way back. Um, what's the status with him?
3: Yeah, Jacob DeGrom has been throwing a couple of bullpen sessions, um, and it sounds like he's he's very close to returning. Uh, he should start against, uh, he should come off the disabled list when he's eligible. Um, The thing with him is, you know, this is, again, like you said, a season for the Mets where they're really out of it at this point, Uh, you know, looking at them honestly. They're really out of the race, and they've got this bright young pitcher, a guy who's in the Rookie of the Year race, uh, a guy who's really probably been the brightest spot for the whole team this summer, uh, a guy who kind of came out of nowhere, and they're going to do everything they can to protect him down the stretch. Uh, If there's any indication that his shoulder is not 100% when he's going along here in August and September. They're going to take every precaution. They're going to take him out of games. They're going to shut him down early. Uh, They'd love for him to finish strong. They'd love for him to go ahead and and pitch as he has been and win the rookie of the year. Uh, But they're not going to do that at the expense of his future either.
1: You are, unsurprisingly, a step ahead of me. I I almost wonder, and I have no lack of faith in their doctors or trainers, but – this is really quick when you're talking about a shoulder, which is always terrifying. Is there any, anybody asking, what's the rush here, or is it really just it was that minor, this was just a little rest, and he's totally good to go?
3: Yeah, I mean, no one, you can do all the tests in the world, no one, uh, and if they're coming up clean and they're showing nothing more than inflammation, tendonitis, that sort of thing, uh, you know, no one knows how he feels other than Jacob himself. Uh, so if he's saying he's good to go and the tests are coming up clean, Uh, I guess it's hard to hold him down at that point. Um, I'm with you. Uh, You know, I'd I'd give him an extra week. I'd give him another start. You know, he's just so important uh, where they want to be. The one thing the Mets do want to accomplish this year is they sort of set him at an inning of a limit of 185 innings. And they'd like to hit that if they can because if he goes into this winter having pitched 185 this year, that sets him up next year to where he really wouldn't have uh, a limit. It would be, you know, in that 215 range, which most pitchers don't get to anyways. Uh, so that's the goal, and that's sort of why they want to keep him out there. And not to mention the, uh, you know, I know it's a superficial thing, but winning the rookie of the year would be a nice feather in his cap. But, um, but yeah, they're going to have to look at it very cautiously. Uh, you know, any little sign that something's not right, they're, they're certainly going to have to uh, take every precaution with that.
1: And while we're talking about young pitchers and injuries and caution, um, is there any real issue here between the club and Matt Harvey? Is there anything to worry about as far as that relationship
3: I think the biggest thing with that, in my opinion, was the Mets sort of sat down at the beginning of the year in spring training and said, We're going to do everything we can, everything possible, to not make Matt Harvey a story this year. He's not going to pitch, and we don't want him to be a headline. And in doing that, they almost achieved the opposite effect, where, you know, because he wasn't as accessible and because of this, uh, you know, people wanted to talk to him more. They wanted to know what was going on, and, and it sort of blew up in their face. To the point where Matt Harvey saw it as team trying to censor him almost um and, and it, it just became a thing you know Matt wanted to rehab in New York and the Mets wanted him to rehab in Florida, and they came to a compromise and i don't, I don't think there's any ill will per se, uh but it is a little thing it's a little ripple in the relationship that you know had been great up until that point. uh how that plays out going forward, I don't know it, it, you you hear people forecasting well he's as good as gone when he's a free agent in five years i, I it's, it's it's really hard to say that at this point. I mean, I mean, this guy has a lot of pitching, a lot, a lot of uh, things he wants to accomplish, wants to do with the Mets, and to predict because of one little squabble, you know, in his second big league season that, that he's, you know, going to be gone from the organization is really tough to say.
1: Yeah, it's my experience typically that the team that steps up with the cash in the years generally gets the player even if there's yeah, some true. element of irritation in the past. Um, is, is there any Anything from his end as to, I mean, he's obviously eager and pushing and really wants to make this go. Um, Is is there any sense from his end that he really is being held back, or or is he just kind of eager because that's how he's wired?
3: Uh, Yeah, well, that's a great way to put it. Matt Harvey is wired differently than most people, most pitchers. Uh, I think on a deep, you know, sort of inward level, he very much understands and understood from day one that he probably wasn't going to pitch this year. Uh, but he's just the type of person where he can't bring himself to say it, uh, to say it publicly. You know, if he thinks there's a 1% of 1% chance that he can be out there, he's going to do everything he can to try and take that opportunity. Uh, you know, even if everyone else around him, even if his coaching staff, even if his father, who's a huge influence in his life know, his agent all, all know it's best for him to sit back and not pitch this year, which is ultimately what's going to happen. And what, you know, everyone sort of knew what was going to happen at the beginning of the year. You know, he's, just, he's wired differently. He he wants to be out there, and if he thinks there's a chance, he's going to try and seize it, no matter how unrealistic that might be. It, it,
1: it, has there been any conversation, this is probably a bad name to bring up anywhere in in, in- greater queens but is there any any conversation with Adam Wainwright he was a guy he handled a little differently he was a little older but you know the year he was coming back he kept talking about well maybe if we get to the LCS I'll pitch maybe if we get to the World Series I'll pitch it wasn't an exact parallel but that's a guy who kind of carries himself well or I mean obviously there are a zillion guys who've had Tommy John is there anybody who's kind of not from the club talking him down or being a voice in his ear saying that hey look in the long run this is what works best
3: Yeah, I mean, I I think Wainwright's actually an interesting parallel because he was one of the guys Matt Harvey was uh, was looking at originally. You know, when he didn't want to have Tommy John surgery in the first place. You know, Adam Wainwright was one of the quote-unquote success stories as a guy who avoided it for many years before uh, before finally succumbing to it. Um, And and, and Matt Matt has done his research. You know, he he talked to uh, he talked to Roy Halladay at one point who had a similar issue, which didn't turn out to be the exact same thing. Uh, I think he might have even been in touch with Adam Wainwright at one point. He, he went and talked to as many people at the time, um, and, and still, even after having the surgery, has talked to people, trying to figure out what's the best way. Um, and, you know, the Mets too have done their research, and one of the things they've uncovered was that guys, you know, while you can come back from Tommy surgery, from Tommy John surgery in less than a year, guys who wait maybe thirteen, fourteen, fifteen months as opposed to eleven or twelve, tend to have. a uh, a far better chance of avoiding a recurrence. So, you know, there's a lot of voices in his ear, you know, pushing him one way. There's a lot of, you know, inward struggle wanting to go the other way. But I think, you know, like I said earlier, everything from day one has pointed to where we are now. It's just him accepting it has been the hardest part.
1: So let's say we talk about a guy who is on the club now. Um, (laughs) Zach Wheeler seems to have taken the step to be in pretty close to, to what he's going to be. And we, we talked about him last week, but um, what what is working for him or what's come around for him that has led to this run that he's been on?
3: Yeah, uh, you know, there, there's been several factors. And, and the interesting thing about Zach Wheeler was you know, he came up and he was sort of in that Matt Harvey blueprint where everyone wanted him to come up and saw him as that sort of uber prospect uh, that they wanted to create immediately. And his learning curve – to be frank, was steeper. Uh, it took him longer to figure it out, and uh, and there was some thought that he might never really figure it out. Some guys don't. Um, but he's really come on. And, well, you know, one of the things he's done is baseball people talk about a difference between control and command. You know, control being your ability to throw strikes, command being your ability to throw strikes at specific points within the strike zone. Uh, and Zach's been able to do that. He, he's become – Certainly the old cliche less of a thrower, more of a pitcher. Uh, you know he he's throwing fewer fastballs. he's spotting his breaking balls to where he wants in the zone. Uh, you know his change ups become a weapon for him against left handed pitchers, which is that that you know that third pitch that a lot of guys that separates you know maybe a reliever from a starter or or a good starter from an okay one. Uh, you know he's really established that this year. Uh, so he really has become more of a pitcher than a thrower, and he's going to be more efficient you know, where that 100 pitches takes you through seven innings as opposed to through five. Uh, You know, those are all little things that he had talked about working on in spring training, but they really didn't show up until later this year, until late June, July, and now into August, and he's really, really been thriving.
1: Well, Anthony DiComo, thanks for taking some time to uh, chat here on MLB.com Extras, talking about the Phillies with MLB.com's Phillies beat reporter, Todd Zalecki. Todd, a week ago, uh, in this very space, we were talking about this team hanging in, being a tough out, uh, and I don't think anybody says they're quitting, but are they starting to kind of fray about the edges a little bit with a three and eight in the last eleven games?
5: Yeah, I, I think so. And you know, there's a lot of talk about you know balancing the trying to win ball games versus trying to evaluate um, talent for the future and trying to get a good look at guys, and and that's you know, I, I think these last 11 games are definitely moving the Phillies in that direction and, and I know that might surprise some people to hear that but uh, you know I'm talking to some people in the organization they say right now um, you know you can still you can still try to win games and, and evaluate players but at some point they're definitely going to get to the point uh, where it's clearly just just evaluating players so if it means sitting a guy a veteran guy for a few days you know it, it sounds like they're at least more open to getting to that point.
1: Of course we heard some of those same noises a couple of weeks ago and we heard, you know, it sounded like Ryan Howard was going to sit maybe a little to evaluate other people and then suddenly he was back in all the time. Do you, you think this is closer to being real now or is this still maybe something that they might kind of change course on?
5: Yeah, yeah, you know, here's what I think is what's going on with Ryan Howard. Um he's making $25 million uh, this year. He's, he's making it, you know, he's it's $60 million after the season. And I, I think the front office recognizes that they could use a change at first base um, if, 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 if possible. And they're not, they're not inclined just to release a guy that's making $60 million over the next few years. So if they can trade him, they would at least like to explore that. And if you bench him the last months the last five weeks of the season that five percent chance or whatever that number is that you think you have to, to, to trade Ryan Howard in the offseason to an American League team even if you eat some salary goes down to zero for sure if all of a sudden you know you, you completely bench the guy because now other teams look at it and go well the Phillies aren't even the Phillies are paying him all this money and they won't even play the guy why would we take a shot at him but if Howard plays regularly at the end of the year uh, if he finishes in the top five in rbis now i know you know uh, I, I don't believe the rbi number is a great indicator of a guy's overall performance but nevertheless the phillies could at least sell ryan howard as hey you know he struggled a little bit but hey if you can make him your dh this guy still had finished the season with 95 rbis 100 rbis or whatever the number might be and you might be able to talk an american league team and saying all right we'll you guys pay 50 to 60 million. We'll take 10 million. We'll pay the final 10 million of the deal and take them off your hands. So, I think that's kind of where they're at, really, with with Howard. They they know that he's not very productive, but they also know if you don't play him, then you have zero chance to move him in the off season, no matter how remote those chances are.
1: Which kind of leads into the other thing that that you know, again we've talked about repeatedly, but I think is still going to be a topic for at least the next week and a half. Um, are, are there any trades still to be made by this club before the uh, before the waiver deadline passes?
5: I, I think at this point, <laughs> it, it, it seems. Uh, you know, I guess if a team uh, would lose its closer the next week, or they would just say, you know what, we got to go out and get Jonathan Papelbon. Let's just go out and do it. You know, or you get pressure from a team gets pressure from ownership to go out and get him, I think maybe that's possible. But other than that, uh, we know that. Cole Hamels was claimed on waivers. Uh, Marlon Bird was claimed on waivers. Uh, Grady Sizemore, I I learned the other day, was was claimed on waivers. And uh, they've all been pulled back. So, you know, three guys there with some value are not going to be traded. A.J. Burnett, you know, unless the Phillies agree to basically pay all of his salary, uh, you know, I can't see him getting traded. I I wrote last night after he pitched that he's leading the National League. He's leading the majors in walks. He's got an ERA of over six since the All-Star break, he's really struggled. I mean, that was a guy I think the Phillies really hoped that they could have traded before July 31st or before August 31st. But clearly he's just not pitching well at all, and, and I would just be stunned if that happens. So that's a long answer, of, a long way of saying it doesn't really look like they have a lot of guys that they could trade at this point.
1: How – is there any talk from Burnett or from the club about Burnett that Maybe they DL him or shut him down. I mean, he's been so bad, and he's been dealing with this physical thing. It's pretty hard not to draw a parallel. The guys don't – even older pitchers don't generally lose it overnight like he has. Um, is there any thought about just – especially for him if he wants to pitch again to kind of shut it down and get healthy, or is that not anywhere in the
5: picture? It, it doesn't seem like it's in the picture, and I, I think the biggest reason why is – they just have nobody else that can pitch. They, they, they just don't have anybody right now that they could call up to pitch. It, 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 well, let me put it this way. They could bring up a warm body from AAA right now and have them take A.J. Burnett's spot in the roster. But they don't. It, but if you're paying A.J. Burnett all this money, I, I think they look at it that way. Now, if they had a top prospect right now that was knocking on the door, then I think that conversation would become a little bit more serious. But as, as it stands right now, uh, they don't really have any other options. They don't have a guy that's, like I said, knocking at the door. And so, and for that reason, I think they're just going to have him continue to pitch, and, which is interesting because the more he pitches, the more his player option goes up for next year. Now, uh, Burnett said that he's probably not going to pitch next year, but he said he was probably not going to pitch this year uh, if he didn't resign with the with the Pittsburgh Pirates. So, <laughs> and that kind of creates an added wrinkle. You know, if he keeps pitching, he's he's now got a $10 million player option. With three more starts, it's an $11.75 million option. And with six, seven more starts, it's a $12.75 million player option. And he's on pace right now for 34 starts. So he's in line to make a lot more money next year, and he's making bonuses last night's start. He also got a $500,000 bonus. So there's all these factors that come into play, but... I, I I still see him staying in this rotation through the end of the year.
1: So, you had an item last night, and it has been kind of the elephant in the room for a while now. Um, club president said that the GM's job is safe, he's the guy. Um, it, do you think that's a, that's something you say in season, or do you think that that's, that's how it is, and, and next season starts with Ruben Amaro still as the general manager of the Phillies?
5: I, I actually think that that's how it is now, Everything can can change, you know. Ed Wade, when he was here, uh, his last season, it, it sounded like at, as the season ended that Ed was Ed was going to stay on, and then about a week later, he was gone, and about a month after that, Scott Gillick uh, joined the organization. All indications I've gotten all season, um, even leading up to what David Montgomery said, was that they planned on sticking with Ruben and. You know, my 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 interpretation, my feeling of what's going to happen is, is, if that does stay the same, is there's going to be changes elsewhere in the organization. But but David Montgomery's been very clear. Uh, he said it to me in spring training. He, he said it to the Philadelphia Inquirer in, in June, and, and he kind of repeated it again yesterday that you know Ruben was part of a lot of success of this organization, and while things have not worked out. You know, he doesn't believe that the the blame is is squarely on him. You know, Pat Gillick is still involved in the decision making process in some capacity. They've got Dallas Green who's a former GM and helping out the front office, so he's he's not pinning this thing solely on Ruben. And you know, fan fan backlash is going to be you know it's going to be tough uh, if Ruben does stick around. But but David's a is a loyal guy, and and I think he really believes that Ruben can get this thing turned around.
1: And that does lead right into my next question, which is, beyond adjusting the roster, what do they do to get this organization? I mean, this was kind of a model organization not that long ago. This was an organization that didn't just win but won again and again. Uh, what do they do to kind of get back to, to where they are, an organization that people
5: emulate? Well, that is the the big mystery is, you know, what is the plan here? Um, I, I, I talked with Ruben about this in Anaheim recently, and I said, what is the plan? And, you know, I I understand that he's not going to say, well, here here are the free agents we're going to target in the offseason. These are the trades we want to make. I I, I get that part. Um, But basically he just said we need to to improve our offense and we need to improve our starting pitching. And I think it certainly goes deeper than that. Uh, I think they understand that, you know, they need to improve in the amateur draft. They need to improve in player development. They they need to improve the pro scouting. Uh, So there are improvements that they need to – to take. I think that they are going to become more involved in the Sabre Metrics, something that they've kind of, they've been very proud of the fact that they're a a very scout-heavy organization. I don't think that'll change in some regards, but I think they will maybe take some of these modern metrics a little bit more seriously and maybe allow them to carry a a little bit more weight going forward Uh, because I think if they had done it in the past, it might have changed their uh, decision-making, at least changed some opinions on some guys. So, there are going I think they are working on changing their thinking a little bit, but he he's, he he hasn't really uh, communicated that to uh the the media or the fan base, and I guess part of that is you know in his point of view is proprietary information and he's not going to tip his hand in terms of what exactly they're going to do before they actually go out and do it
1: sure no, that makes sense and and to not to jump all over, but the last thing I got for you here um Ken Giles's numbers are ludicrous and and yeah. They're they're far better than they were in the minors, really. So I mean, the the two things I'm wondering: one, why is he not walking guys anymore when he walked guys this year in Triple A, and is he a guy who maybe closes next year?
5: Yeah, and going to your first question, the command question. He's really been able to throw that slider. Uh, he's he's able to command the slider, I think, a lot more than he was earlier this season. We uh, talking to Ryan Sandberg. He says. The slider he is throwing now does not look anything like the slider he was throwing in spring training when I saw him. I mean, he was really having a hard time with that pitch, uh, getting it over consistently. Now he's able to throw it for a first-pitch strike in a lot of situations uh, to certain batters, and now all of a sudden the the hitter is kind of like, all right, now I'm in trouble. And uh, and so I think that has a big part to do with it. In terms of closing, I think if they can move Papelbon in the offseason, and, and granted, they've been trying to trade him since the July 31st trade, trade deadline of 2013, and without any luck. But if they can trade Jonathan Papelbon this offseason, I mean, they want Ken Giles to close. They see him as their closer. They want him to be their closer. But right now they're paying Jonathan Papelbon all this money, and they they, they do like the um, the influence, actually, Papelbon has had on some of these younger relievers in terms of teaching them how to pitch and be effective relievers. But, yes, I do see Ken Giles as the closer next year. Uh I think preferably they trade Pavelbon before that happens. But uh, certainly it makes the most sense because Ken Jones is your future as a closer, and you know, Jonathan Pavelbon is not.
1: All right. Well, I'm sure we will have plenty more to talk about in a week. Uh, Todd Zalecki, thanks for uh, dropping by to talk Phillies. This is MLB.com Extra. Thanks for listening.